Welcome to the Collections by Michelle Brown show. A show about people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality as they create change. This episode is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services. Welcome to Collections by Michelle Brown. I'm your host, Michelle Brown. Each week, we'll be talking with people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality, and creating change. Different governments and organizations have declared different months as AIDS Awareness Month. The most popular choices are October and December. Regardless of which month you acknowledge as AIDS Awareness Month, What's most important is that we recognize that according to the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, in the United States alone, 1.1 million people are living with HIV, and one in seven of them don't know it. The good news is PrEP, pre-exposure prophylaxis, and PEP, post-exposure prophylaxis, are available for preventing transmission among those who are HIV negative. For those infected, HIV treatment works. The outlook for people living with HIV has significantly improved over the past two decades. Many people who are HIV positive can now live longer, healthier lives when they're in routine care. In 1996, the total life expectancy for an infected 20-year-old person was 39 years. In 2011, the total life expectancy has been bumped up to about 70 years. Someone who is HIV positive, receiving treatment, and in optimal health may live to be in their late 70s. Many people assume that HIV and AIDS are interchangeable terms. While it's true that HIV can eventually lead into AIDS, it's not always true that if you contract HIV, you'll also develop AIDS. We can stop HIV, lift the stigma, and educate our communities on the truth about living with HIV and AIDS, one conversation at a time. On the ground, doing the work, and leading the discussion in Southeast Michigan is Unified HIV Health and Beyond, UHHB. Rooted in the history of the fight against HIV, Unified advances prevention, access to health care, community research, and advocacy. UHHB came on the scene in 2015, resulting from the merger of AIDS Partnership Michigan, which was Michigan's oldest AIDS service organization, and the HIV AIDS Resource Center, an organization that also had a long history of providing prevention and care services to the people of Jackson, Lenawee, Livingston, and Washtenaw counties. UHHB is a nationally recognized multi-service center creating positive change through regional impact, innovation, and sustainability to promote HIV health and beyond. Joining Collections by Michelle Brown today is Christina Schmidtel, Director of Care Services at Unified HIV Health and Beyond. 
originally from Mason, Michigan, Christina has made Detroit home. She entered this field as a volunteer at Lansing Area AIDS Network in Lansing, Michigan in 2000. She was employed at AIDS Partnership Michigan from 2006 to 2013. In 2014, she joined the staff at the Detroit Health Department as a quality management specialist with the Ryan White HIV program. In 2016, she returned to Unified as the Director of Care Services, managing eight care programs. Christina, welcome to Collections by Michelle Brown. How are you today? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. You know, I'm telling so when you were volunteering, well, I'll tell you, first of all, what made you say, I'm going to volunteer with the Lansing Area AIDS Network? Yeah, so I went to college in Missouri at a small liberal arts school. I was in the social work program and knew I always knew that I wanted to help people, but I wasn't exactly sure how I wanted to do that. Um, and I knew I probably wanted to work with adults. A lot of times social work students want to work with kids, but I thought that I would want to work with adults. And I had a professor who was also a therapist, and she had a couple of her clients come in and talk about their experience living with HIV. And I, I don't know, I just was so gripped by it. We had, had speakers talking about other um, situations and other places that social workers could work, but I just could not shake their stories and just the way that they had been treated by individuals so poorly, just the stigma about um, HIV, um, and two of the men that came were gay men, and just the stigma around that, that for weeks I just could not kind of get past that and decided, you know what, I think I'm interested in doing HIV work. But I wasn't sure um, what that would look like. So I knew I was going home for the summer. So I contacted the local AIDS service organization, Lansing Area AIDS Network, and just called them and said, hey, do you guys have any volunteer opportunities? I'm you know, a social work student, but I'll be home for the summer. Is there anything that I could do? And they said, great. Um, they had a front desk receptionist who was only working 30 hours a week, and they needed those 10 hours filled in, and it was typically in the mornings. So I started, and I was answering phones, I was greeting guests, but that also gave me an opportunity to talk to case managers, to talk to prevention staff, and kind of get a feel about what everyone was doing. And when I started, Michelle, I did not know hardly anything about HIV. And so they were so kind and gracious. And um, I just, I remember one time getting a phone call that someone asked, you know, is there a cure for HIV? I'm like, hold on one moment, like put the person on hold, like mm -hmm. leaned my head into someone's office. I'm like, there's no cure, right? And they're like, no. So, but I, I, figured as much, but I'm like, I don't want to be on the phone and tell someone wrong. I was just so new. Mm -hmm. So they were just so gracious with me. Um, 
you know, this college student who knows nothing. Um, but I learned so much, and I realized I did want to do HIV work. And I realized this is what I was created to do. Um, I'm so passionate about it. And they really, I think part of it was just their kindness and their generosity with me um, as a volunteer that really helped that blossom. Now, you know, you talk about the stigma. And, you know, and I've had other guests. I had... um one gentleman who uh, now lives in Nashville, and he was talking about when he knew he needed to go get the testing, and, but he was so concerned about the stigma that he wanted to park like blocks away from the place to go, so hoping that no one would see him. And then on the flip side, I talked to a woman in Columbia, South Carolina, who had been hearing about it and recognized Okay, first of all, that when AIDS was going to hit everywhere, HIV was going to hit everywhere, even in little Columbia, and that they weren't prepared for it. But and then she's had the same experience. Going in, when she got the call from a hospital, they didn't know how to deal with it, but they were also treating these people horribly. Yeah. When you went and you said, you know, this is what I think I want to do, and particularly when you came home to Lansing and you said, you know, I'm going to volunteer because I think I want to work with this population, people who are living with HIV and AIDS. Did you feel any pushback or did you have that stigma? Absolutely. Um, and I think that's one of the things that maybe it was such a difference that the staff at Lawn made because they were so generous and kind. Yeah, I will say family and friends, they did not understand at all about why would I want to work with people that are HIV positive. I did have one individual ask me, well, could you just work with babies like that mm. have been born HIV positive? And I realized that the question, underlying the question was this idea of worthy and unworthy, like who is worthy to receive services? And it's kind of like an old social work thought had been dividing that as a country, we would talk about the worthy and unworthy poor, like the worthy poor people that worked hard and did different things. The unworthy poor, you know, were seen as lazy and not deserving and that people were dividing individuals with HIV into kind of this worthy and unworthy. And so if you were a baby and, you know, you got this, in words would be, like, through no fault of your own, that you would be worthy. But if you were a gay man, or you injected drugs, or maybe you had a partner who was positive that you'd been sexually active with, then those people kind of weren't worthy. And I was like, oh, my goodness, no, this is not the case at all. Like, I want to help everyone no matter what. And I think sometimes that is still a struggle for people that are living with HIV, that so often we want to have the first question that if someone reveals that they're HIV positive, that oftentimes the first question that they'll hear is, how did you get it? Mm. Going back to whether they've got a worthy story or not. And I have had the opportunity to speak to students and to other people um, that are not familiar with HIV. And that's one of the things I'll say is I'll say, don't ask that question. Like, do you really need to know that? It's one thing if you're filling out a particular form 
for services at an aid service organization. And we do have to ask that. We have to know about transmission. But when you're just talking to someone, a friend or a neighbor, is do you really need to know that? And so someone asked me when I was speaking to a class, they said, what would be a better question? And I'm like, a better question would be to ask them how they're doing. How are they mm. doing with this diagnosis? You know, and not to get too clinical, but like, are you getting medical care? Because we know that medical care and medications can make such a difference that that's what's important, getting someone to medical care. Like, they're already positive. So no matter how that happened or what that looks like, um, asking questions to, you know, we don't want to shame individuals. Let's go from here. How are you doing? You know, and that might be the opportunity. Someone might say, like, oh, I, I haven't seen a doctor. I, you know, like, I'm afraid or I don't have insurance or I just feel so overwhelmed. And a chance to try to encourage them to seek care. Or if someone's like, well, I've known for a while and I'm, you know, going to a doctor and I'm on medication, I'm doing pretty good, then celebrate with them. Mm. So um, I think... Yeah, to, the long way to answer your question is I did get a lot of pushback. But over time, I think people have seen that I'm passionate about this and that if people are critical about it, I think that maybe they just keep it to themselves and don't say anything more. Um, but I've definitely had situations where I've been able to educate people and talk to them about things such as the difference between HIV and AIDS. And, you know, that you um, can't contract HIV through casual contact. Mm -hmm. um, and I've even had family members correct other people in front of me to say, no, you can't get HIV from drinking out of the same glass as someone else. And I just felt so proud, like, Yes, the message is getting out, like, tell more people. And so, um, but, you know, that was someone who might not have thought that before in my constant education about HIV. So I think people have come around. You know, I think it's really great, too, that you're going back into talking to students and to other social workers, because like you said, that's how you, you know, it had been like in the culture of social work that there were people who were worthy and people who are not and that you're going back in there and changing right. that discussion. Absolutely. Yeah, that was kind of the American way of doing, of deciding and social work like at its core was trying to say, no, we don't need to divide people into worthy and unworthy, that if people need assistance, they need assistance and that's like let's not shame or divide people in that way that we really want to make a difference. And I think that same thing can be applied to HIV. Mm -hmm. You know, now I know and that you were with AIDS Partners, uh, Ms. Shurkin, but I know that you also were with the health department. And about in that period of time, I was on the Michigan Women and AIDS Committee and we met there and we were talking about the things as far as getting people to come in, you know, changing this conversation with their family, talking about it in schools, and that part of the money was coming in under the Ryan White program. Then it seemed like there was just change, the money started to dry up, 
And I drive by now because we met at Herman Kiefer. And mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, there's also, I mean, going back to like the, the fellow I was telling you about, there was that thing about, about place because we talked about how, yeah, they had all these services here, but there was that stigma of that place that if you went yeah. into Herman Kiefer, the people would. And now I drive by and I look and Herman Kiefer is like boarded up. In fact, yes. talking about making it something. Right. As you've been involved in this for a while, how important is it or is it better not to have a Herman Kiefer? Or, or do we need a centralized place where you have not only people working in it, but services? Yeah. So I actually drove by Herman Kiefer this week, and I was also saddened to see it boarded up. Um, but the health department services are administratively are kind of in one location. But mm-hmm. then the services that are hands-on for individuals are spread throughout the city. And so I think that helps for accessibility. And the health department at this point with Ryan White HIV services are not doing very many direct services, but fund agencies throughout this six-county area, what we call the metro area. And I think that that helps as far as accessibility And most of the agencies take privacy and confidentiality very seriously. Mm -hmm. So individuals might know that it's an HIV organization, but it would be because of word of mouth. It wouldn't be because there's some sort of sign. And so I think some of that stigma about a location has changed. Uh, you know, I, I also have a history of AIDS Partnership Michigan. And, um, and, you know, and I did notice that from sitting down there, but then I knew people who went to APM, and it was almost like a little community. Do you know what I mean? Like they knew that this was a place that they could go. And so I hear what you're saying, and I, I can see where that would make a difference for someone to where I saw people who, who were okay with going to APM because people would tell them about that or – where APM would be invited to something and where, you know, health departments, you don't want to hear that. You, yeah. I know, you know, so what brought you to Michigan and after school and how did you get involved with APM and then come back to yeah. the, the fold when it became unified? Right, right. <laughs> So I decided to come back to Michigan because my family was still here, and I got my master's degree in social work again mm-hmm. um, from Michigan State, and then I and so I then also continued um, the volunteer work at Lansing Area AIDS Network. So then I continued to volunteer there, and then I also worked contractually for them to do HIV testing. I, was, I had graduated from the front desk receptionist. Now I was doing HIV testing. <laughs> I also was helping with the AIDS walk and recruiting teams. And essentially, when they had money, they paid me. When they didn't have money, I volunteered. And I was very interested in working there full time. 
but of course, like most social service agencies, they were grant funded and just did not have the money to bring me on. And so um, I was working um, a full-time job doing other work in social work, and then in the evenings I was doing the HIV testing, and I did that for a couple of years, and then a job became available at AIDS Partnership Michigan a job to be a re-entry medical case manager. And by re-entry, I mean working with individuals who are coming out of prison or jail and that are HIV positive and need services. So I, I remember interviewing for the job here in Detroit, and I had been on a lot of interviews and was really trying to do HIV work but having a hard time breaking into the field and I remember calling my mom and saying, I really hope I get the job there. I, you know, just loved the interview. I loved the people, and I think I really liked the agency. I really hope I get this job. Um, and I did, and I think part of it for them was that I had been volunteering for a couple mm. of years at that point, and they were like, so she must be dedicated to this. <laughs> She's, you know, going between volunteering and contractually working at the agency in Lansing. And so I was so excited um, to join the team here. And so I worked as a reentry uh, medical case manager for several years, and then there was an opening for the lead reentry medical case management program, and so that was essentially in charge of the reentry program, and I did that for several years. And then back in 20, um, the end of 2013, there, the job was posted to work at the Detroit Health Department as a quality management specialist, and I was looking to do something different, still HIV, but essentially I was going from the agency level to the funder level. And there are things that I learned at the Detroit Health Department and the Ryan White HIV program that I could not have learned elsewhere. I had an mm -hmm. awesome supervisor, and she um, was all about quality and making sure that agencies provided quality care. She was also all about data and, like, do we have the data to support this? And what does the data say? You know, so for instance, like, the data is showing that HIV is strongly affecting, for new diagnoses, young men who have sex with men of color. Mm -hmm. And so that's where we're going to put our resources towards. That's what we're going to encourage our agencies to reach out and to, you know, we didn't do prevention, but like how for individuals who are positive, how do we get them into care? How do we do that? And so she was fantastic. So then after being there for two years, the director of care services position became available here. Um, at that point, it was Unified HIV Health and Beyond. They had merged a month before I came back. Um, so AIDS Partnership Michigan in Detroit, HIV AIDS Resource Center in Ypsilanti, and Jackson merged forces to become the biggest HIV service organization in the state covering 10 counties. But the information and the things that I learned at the Detroit Health Department helped, helped me in my current job so much. Like I understand when a report 
or specific information is being asked for, why it's being asked for. And it made the stuff that I had done as a case manager, suddenly things made sense. Oh, that's why we, we mm-hmm. reported that data. That's why we collected that information. So it fit. Like I think in the past, you know, of course I would have done what was required from the funder, but it made sense. And so that way then I can say to my team, listen, this is why we're collecting this information. This is what the health department is going to do with it. This is why they need to know. To just help people understand why we're doing what we're doing. But that information was just so invaluable. So then coming back um, to the agency level, and I think, you know, if it had been at another agency and had not been the specific position or a chance to work again, for the great supervisor that I had here at the agency level, then I'm not sure that I would have made the leap. But it was like a chance to go back to my old agency that I was just very excited about. And it's been great being back and being back at the agency side and making that direct impact um, on individuals. So in the past, as a case manager, I had my clients And now I don't have clients anymore, but in some ways my staff is kind of like my clients in that Mm -hmm. I'm concerned for them. How are they doing? You know, people show up to work and they're not feeling well. Okay, let's have you go home. You're not feeling good. Or, Mm -hmm. you know, individuals will say, can I leave a little early? My car is acting up. Or there's a plumbing issue at my house and those kinds of things. Just trying to meet their needs and help them reach their potential so that they can assist the clients. So if you have a staff member who's not feeling well, then they're not, you know, you don't necessarily want them interacting with clients and getting clients or other people sick. And so it's like, how can you help them be their best so they can offer their best to the clients? So it's, you know, a different role, but I'm really enjoying it. Well, that's great. Uh, Well, you know, and I think that We've come full circle, but we're going to take our first break. And when we come back, I want to talk to you about HIV and AIDS and and some of this data that you have and this information that you have. So we will be right back here on Collections by Michelle Brown. We're talking with Christina Schmidtel, who is with Unified. This episode of Collections by Michelle Brown is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services, bringing balance to your mind, body, and spirit. For more information or to schedule an appointment, visit the Center at www.thecenterforpeacellc.com. Talking with Christina Schmidt, who's with Unified HIV Health and Beyond. They are part of 
they are the result of a merger that has resulted in the largest organization agency in the state dealing with people who have HIV and AIDS. And you know, and I imagine not only through the data and the things that you've seen, Christina, there's been a lot of change. I mean, I mean, it, it isn't like what it used to be. You know, I can recall like back in the 90s when we would have people who were working in that. In fact, I know that I remember, and I don't know if you remember Renee McCoy. I and do. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, and I remember back in the 90s that we were at a function and she came and she had this pager. And when the pager went off, generally, often it was someone who had AIDS or they had HIV, and the, but they were in crisis. And she was going to deal with someone in crisis. At that point in time, you got that diagnosis, and, and for many it was, okay, well, it's a death sentence. Mm-hmm. Let me get my life, life together. Now they're talking about someone who can have a life expectancy to be in their 70s. Correct. What, what, what have you seen? What's the change? What are you seeing? Well, I think we have seen such an explosion in the possibility of medication that it can give people quantity of life, more years, but also quality of life. And the medications have just improved so much. I remember when I started, some of the medications, um, and when I would go see clients in their homes and do home visits, with the medications, they had so many side effects. So you would take a bunch of HIV medications multiple times a day, but then you also had to take a lot of medications to deal with the side effects, to deal with the nausea, the diarrhea, the sleeplessness, or the being sleepy all the time, or make you depressed, you know, just the different side effects that now we have medications that instead of a table full of medications, people can take one pill once a day. And that's not necessarily what's prescribed for everyone. And I do believe that prescribing providers try to find the best fit for everyone. And so this is not what everyone always gets. But many people are on one pill once a day. And the side effects are less Most of the time we think of the side effects of some of these medications lasting a week or two. So we tell people if you can power through those initial side effects, that will make such a difference. So we're able to prescribe medications to anyone that's HIV positive because they work so well and the side effects are less. In the past, We used to wait until people would get sick and then try to bring them back and bring, build up their immune system. But now we're able to maintain an immune system that's healthy. So if we get someone who's newly diagnosed, we'll say, you do not have to get sick. We can keep you healthy. And people with HIV are dying of the same things that everyone else dies of heart disease, um, you know, cancer and other things. I mean, we're not looking for people to die, but they're not dying of HIV. 
in the way that they were in the early days. And that's not to say that no one does anymore. Um, And oftentimes, you know, it might be linked to people not taking their medications because that is one of the things about the medications is that it needs to be taken as prescribed every day. So even the one pill once a day, they're great, but it has to be taken every day. You can't miss doses because unfortunately, HIV is a virus and it can change and react to medication and make itself so that the medication doesn't work anymore. But it's much easier to help someone see the importance of taking one pill once a day than baskets of medications. And I remember early on going to a client's house and seeing their entire dining room table covered in pill boxes um, and pill bottles. And I thought, you know, I just, and complicated regimens, some with food, some without food at different times of the day. It just was so overwhelming for individuals. So I think that's one of the things that has been um, a big change that's been such a big improvement. Um, You had mentioned earlier about funding changing, and that definitely is the case, that we've seen money for prevention um, outreach has just not completely dried up, but it's just changed, and we just don't Mm -hmm. have as much as we once did. And that makes me sad because I think we're missing out on opportunities to tell individuals about this. And I had mentioned before, you know, that the data shows that um, young men of color who um, have sex with men are disproportionately affected by HIV. But I think it's because we don't have the prevention dollars we once did and the messages We need messages that are reaching those individuals. Um, Another big change is PrEP, which you mentioned, Mm -hmm. that people can take a medication to prevent from getting HIV, and that is huge. The idea, you know, if we had thought 30, 35 years ago that there will not, we don't have a vaccination at this point, and we don't have a cure, but someone could take a medication and eliminate their risk of becoming HIV positive, that's wonderful. Um, And, you know, our recent knowledge of the U equals U campaign, which says that if someone is undetectable, that they're untransmittable, that the HIV, Mm -hmm. like, so that um, undetectable HIV is untransmittable, like, that Mm -hmm. is just, that's amazing. Um, I know when that information came out here, it's like we wanted to do cartwheels around the office to say to individuals, <laughs> we're hoping like this will lessen stigma and help encourage people, you know, to take their medication that this is, you know, this can make such a difference. Um, and I will just clarify that undetectable doesn't mean that the HIV is gone from a person's body, but that it means that the medication is suppressing it. So if someone mm-hmm. is taking their pills, their medication, maybe their one pill once a day, every day as prescribed, 
But if someone stops taking their medication for whatever reason, and then they're detectable again, then that could be transmitted. So the HIV at this point, we don't have a cure and there's not a way to totally eliminate it, but we can use the medication to keep it at such a low level that it cannot be transmitted to another person. And that's awesome news. And, you know, when you talk about the quality of life, okay, not only are people living longer, but just imagine, you know, you can have a relationship without that fear, that stigma. Am I going to be able to, to transmit it to, to my, my partner? You know, will that expense of the medicines and all that, you know, keep me from living a full life? I mean, so the quality of someone's life is, like, Absolutely. so important. Absolutely. But, you know, but, you know, I hear you talking about um, young people. And, you know, I met someone who was in their 20s who had said that they had only recently <laughs> gone and been tested to find out their status hmm. and heard about PrEP, <laughs> okay? And it was sort of like, you're 20. Uh, and, and, and they acknowledged that, you know, they weren't, just giving up their virginity. I mean, you know, right, right. This wasn't their first active. sexual experience. <laughs> oh, no, they had been sexually active for a while. And this was the first time that they had got tested. And, you know, and then also found out about PrEP. And it's like that outreach. And when I was saying, like, well, how come you were never tested? Well, in part, access to health care and, you know, and that concern about, well, I'm not going to go there and get tested. What if somebody sees me and then they think, you know, and and they hadn't totally come out to their family. What are other avenues for outreach that you can develop when you see that the funding from, from the old ways are going, what are other accesses and ways that you can find who you can partner with so that, you know, a young person who is 16, 17, 18, that they know to get tested, that there are things that they can do, that if they are, if they're positive, that there's a quality of life that they can look forward to being 70. Right. So I think when you take away funding that is frustrating and difficult, but it also causes organizations to work together and to say, we have a little bit of funding, we have a little bit of funding. How do we come together to get the most for our money and outreach to the most individuals? And I know that the individuals that do outreach at Unified HIV Health and Beyond do an excellent job, and so they will go to bars and to clubs and different places trying to spread the message, um, the message about HIV and the importance of testing and letting people know about that, but then also trying to go to places where youth are and where youth hang out, and sometimes that's places that might be a bit untraditional or that you might think, okay, this is not a place where you'd normally hear HIV messages. Because I'm not sure that people are getting those messages in schools 
and not hearing about that. So how do we find other ways to reach youth? And so we get creative in trying to find individuals um, and make that difference. Mm-hmm. Well, I know that, you know, I had talked to the Searles who do the Gospel with AIDS. Yes. And and um, I know that, all, again, from being with um, Michigan Women in AIDS Committee, that often, like, they don't want you, I mean, they don't want to talk to, uh, want you to talk about sex ed with kids right. in school. But, you know, you often wonder, too, how young is too young? I mean, right. and right. let's do a reality check that, you know, it is in a certain age that the kids are do, doing it when they do it. So. What do you find? I mean, is there a way to also that you can have conversations with parents? Yes, I think so. And I think, you know, with kids for sex ed and including HIV in that, you just kind of try to do what is age appropriate. Um you know, you're not maybe going to give all the details to your five-year-old, but like <laughs> once they start asking yeah. questions, like how do you do that and how do you start to share a little more information? I remember with my family, I remember my nephews and nieces like asking what I did. And, you know, I mentioned like, oh, I help people. And initially when they were pretty young, we just said, well, Aunt Chris helps people who are sick. And then as we talked, you know, just more as they got older, um, I know one of them heard about HIV in school. And so my sister said, Aunt Chris helps people that have HIV. And so making that connection and so, you know, asking if you had questions, you know, and so I think mm-hmm. you just start those conversations and I don't think parents look forward to those conversations but you know reaching out to organizations and saying hey I need help with this and with all of the resources they have online these days there's videos that you can you know show your kids that are appropriate age appropriate I a couple months ago was looking had gotten a link in an email about some resources to be used for like kids age 11 to 14 or 11 to 13, something like that. And the videos, they were honest, but I thought this is what's going to target the kind of that age group. And so, you know, if it's even sitting there and watching the video with the kids, you know, maybe you're not saying everything and then asking, you know, if they have questions. So I think people have to get creative and um yeah, that does always make me sad when you mention, you know, this um, 20-something-year-old who doesn't, as coming in for the first time to test. But I think one of the things that I heard you say that is great is that once they knew that they were negative, that they were told about PrEP. In the mm-hmm. past, when I used to do HIV testing, we would do harm reduction and talk to someone about how do you reduce your risk. So could you decrease your number of partners? Could you use condoms? Could you use lubricant? You know, what could you do? Um, could you not share your injection drug um, paraphernalia? What can you do? Now we can say to individuals that, yes, still it's great to do the harm reduction methods, but we also have this other 
possibility. We have this medication and we can make this difference. And so that is great to hear that someone is getting that message because that's, that's one of the new things is pairing those prevention messages with PrEP and that information. And I know our agency has what we call a PrEP navigator to help mm. individuals who want to be on PrEP access that. So, you know, if you get an individual who says, I don't have insurance or I don't know where to go to get the medications or how am I going to get there, I don't have transportation, that is what the PrEP Navigator does, is tries to eliminate those barriers because we don't want to have someone who could not get PrEP so then they become HIV positive. Mm-hmm. Like if we can, could we eliminate barriers beforehand to keep people negative? And that makes, that can make such a huge difference. Now, you know, and, and, and we've done it too. I mean, uh, this is, uh, there's so many things and so many advances in treating and helping people live with their HIV. But when we started, we started talking about that this is, AIDS Awareness Month. I know that AIDS is not gone. So what do, you know, and we've talked about HIV. We know that often they go hand in hand, but HIV does not, can eventually lead to AIDS, but it's not always true that if you contract HIV that you develop AIDS. But what do people need to know about AIDS. So I don't want people to have that false thing like, hey, well, you know, we don't have to worry about AIDS. We can, we right. can, you know, treat it and take a one day a pill. And if I don't have it, right. I can take PrEP and I don't have to ever think about it. What right. do people need to know about AIDS? Well, I think they need to understand the difference. HIV is the virus that can lead to AIDS. And AIDS is really just a collection of symptoms. It's It's a syndrome. It's kind of the end stage. And Mm -hmm. when someone's at the end stage with HIV, that is what we call AIDS. So people sometimes will say, I'm going to go get an AIDS test. And, of course, if someone comes in to test, we're going to test them. We're not going to be like, no, you can't transmit AIDS because it's a syndrome. You're going to get an HIV test. I mean, you might do some educating, but you're going to do it in a very kind and affirming way instead of a get your you know words right. But I think that is something to understand, that AIDS is just really the end stage of the virus, and that is when your body cannot fight off other infections and other things going on that if your immune system was strong, would be able to fight off. And so one of the things that we say with medication is that if you can take your medication and maintain that immune system, that's how you can avoid, you know, getting to the end stage, and that is what makes the difference. But being HIV positive is still no walk in the park or a picnic. There are still difficulties, and you've got to, like we've talked about, take your medications. You've got to, um, you know, in, in Michigan, legally you're required to inform your sexual partners. So it's, 
I think sometimes people do get apathetic, like, oh, you just take your one pill once a day and it's no big deal. It's definitely still more serious than a cold, but it is a chronic condition and it can be managed and you want to avoid it. Um, But yes, people still do develop AIDS. They still are kind of in that end stage. But Mm -hmm. if someone is now with the medications, they might be at that end stage and then they could get better and get out of that end stage. In the past, people were diagnosed, you just got sicker and sicker. And usually you were diagnosed when you were starting to show symptoms, which could be years after you were initially infected. And then they would get sicker and sicker and then kind of reach that end stage. And then their body just could not fight off these infections and then they would pass away. Now, even if someone kind of is in that end stage, if they started taking medications or if maybe they had taken medications in the past and returned to that, then they can move out of that AIDS stage and you know, have a healthy immune system. And we would definitely say don't wait until you're at that end stage. Mm-hmm. Try, you know, try to treat um, at that, that initial point when someone's diagnosed so that we don't have that. Um, because in that end stage, there's just your body is dealing with other infections and other things. And it's kind of like I one time gave the analogy to a guy that I was working with in the jail trying to explain why he wanted to keep himself healthy. Um, And the analogy that popped in my head was, interestingly enough, was fighting. And I Mm -hmm. said, is it easier to fight one guy at a time or five guys at a time? And he said, Mm -hmm. well, of course, one guy. And I said, well, that's Mm -hmm. the same thing. Like, you already are fighting one guy called HIV. We don't want you to also have to fight pneumocystis pneumonia or hepatitis C um, you know, we don't need you to be fighting like colds and flus and other um, diseases. You know, like let's fight as few as possible. And so he kind of chuckled at that analogy, but it totally made sense because mm-hmm. just talking to him medically, just it wasn't really sinking in why that that would make a difference. But I said the least number of things you can fight at once, the better chance your immune system has um, and with help from the medication to make a difference. Now, you know, and it is so sad that we have to go there, but you're, you're facing like outreach, you know, knowing that you have this and if you just sort of uh, get that information out there. Now we have this health care debate coming up, which you see some people who might be living on the bubble when it comes to access to health care are going to be put in an even more precarious situation. How, as an agency, do you fight both fronts? You know, you, you know what's out there, you know you have to get the outrage, but then you have this looming over you. Well, I think we try to encourage, I mean, we definitely encourage our clients to access the insurance 
and the health assistance that they can get, and expanding Medicaid in the state of Michigan, and that's called Healthy Michigan, has made a world of difference for our clients because they are able to not only get treatment for their HIV, but get treatment for high blood pressure or diabetes or hepatitis C. And in the past, there were safety nets to just treat HIV, but did not include those other medical conditions. And so it has made a huge difference. And being HIV positive was not enough to get Medicaid in the past before expanded Medicaid. Like people were not considered sick enough um, Mm. when we thought about Medicaid. But so we will have clients that will come in and say, what is going to happen? And we will just try to reassure them that if changes do happen, that because it's governmental, they will not just, your insurance won't be active one day and then gone the next day. That will have to take a time to roll out and then we'll have to find other options. And I am really hoping that we don't ever go back to just the basic safety nets. Um, But at some point that may be something that we have to do and we'll figure it out. And to let clients know that as soon as we know something, we'll try to let them know um, and to do their best to take advantage of their health insurance while they can, you know, and so just trying to advocate and, you know, we're not allowed to do lobbying as a nonprofit, but trying mm-hmm. to advocate as individuals or, you know, what we are able to do, like just sharing those personal stories about people that are affected and not mm-hmm. even around just HIV, but I recently was reading information about how, like, the expanding of Medicaid and individuals who can purchase insurance with, a, you know, on the marketplace, the healthcare marketplace, have helped people in their employment. Like, more people are able to go to work because they have insurance. They're able to take less sick days. They're able to be more effective at work because they have health insurance, because they're able to get preventative measures, because they're able to treat the medical conditions they have. I think, you know, it's just healthcare is such an important factor of our lives. And I think it would be very difficult for our clients if they've had Healthy Michigan if that went away and we said, well, back to the safety nets that we've Mm -hmm. had in the past. And some of the clients would remember that and some will say, I've never had that. So that would be, you know, extra scary. But the safety nets are the Ryan White funding that pays clinics to see individuals that don't have insurance and the American Drug Assistance Program that helps people that are HIV positive get their medication, but we've been able to not have to use those resources for as many people as we have had in the past. So giving those resources a little bit of a break has made such a difference. And Michigan, thankfully, has not had a waiting list for our drug assistance program, which assists individuals that are HIV positive. But they, you know, have eliminated a lot of individuals on needing, even needing that service because of the expanded Medicaid. And when you look at other states where Medicaid hasn't been expanded, 
some of them have still have you know lots and lots of people um, that are receiving that assistance or even waiting lists of people who need like life saving HIV meds, things mm-hmm. that can help people live you know and it, and going back to like their quality of life and their quantity of life and mm-hmm. so that just I think makes me feel like a mixture of sadness and mm-hmm. frustration and then mm-hmm. you know at times just outright anger so mm. well with that we're going to take our second break and um we'll be right back again we're talking with Christina from Unified HIV Health and Beyond you're listening to collections by Michelle Brown and we will be right back Collections by Michelle Brown airs every Thursday at 7 p.m. You can subscribe now and listen to the podcast on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. Be sure to like the Collections by Michelle Brown Facebook page and mark your calendar so you never miss an episode. We're back, Christina. We're coming into the home stretch, and unified is there. And maybe, like you said, like some people in the community know about it, people don't. Can you give us your your elevator pitch about for someone who is saying, "Well, you know, they've got all these drugs, they've got this, everything is going great. Why do we need?" A unified. Why should we support this organization and the fight that they're waging against HIV? And what's it about? Yeah. So I will say when we get individuals that come in, and most aid service organizations, and unified would be the same, are kind of divided into two parts, prevention and how can we keep people negative and then care. People that are HIV positive, how do we help them? And with the care programs, the focus is getting people linked to medical care. So linking or staying in medical care. But that is not always an easy job. So oftentimes people don't know where to go for medical care. Um, And so that, we assist with that. Or people need assistance, you know, signing up for insurance or applying for Healthy Michigan, and we assist with that um, because that can always be so difficult. There's so much paperwork, so many choices at times. And so how do I do that, and how do I make sure I get insurance that will cover my medications and that my doctor will be covered and I'll, you know, get those things taken care of? But then there's also other barriers. So someone has a medical appointment, But if they have no way to get to their appointment, they don't have transportation, they're not going to be able to go. So we can assist with transportation. Or maybe someone's taking an HIV medication that 
requires them to take it with food, we can help, you know, with food. Um, Because if they don't have what they need to be successful with their medical care, then they're not going to do that. But then we also work with clients where HIV is not their biggest concern. Their biggest concern is where am I going to sleep tonight? How Mm. am I going to live day to day? So if we can help with some of those needs and help alleviate some of that stress, then they are able to follow up with medical care. You know, when we work with individuals that have mental health needs or substance abuse needs, trying to work on those other areas that are not necessarily HIV-related so that the individual can work on their HIV-related areas and be linked to medical care. And, you know, for some individuals, they become HIV positive and, you know, they have a doctor, they have insurance, they have employment and a car and an apartment, and they probably don't need our services. But for the individual who just finds out that they're HIV positive and they are already struggling with their housing, they're from place to place, sometimes they're homeless, sometimes they're staying with a friend, it just seems unstable, and maybe work is when they can get it, and they, you know, if they spend money on transportation to a doctor's appointment, it means that they're not going to be eating a meal that day, and maybe they're not even sure where they're, you know, they're going from soup kitchen to soup kitchen to food pantry, that, and, you know, knowing kind of, like, and those individuals are resourceful, but what can we do to help add to those resources and help them so that they can focus on HIV um, and make that a part of what they need to focus on every day and taking their medications instead of every day having to be focused on these other areas that would keep them from focusing on their medical care. Mm. Wow, that's amazing. You have, um, so... Are you managing all of these programs? I know you said that there are eight care programs. Yes, we have eight care programs. So, and one of the nice things about an agency like Unified HIV Health and Beyond and other AIDS service organizations is that if you contact them and ask for assistance, like you don't have to know about the different care programs and like which program would be the best for me. There are no wrong doors. We get Mm -hmm. people that will call and say, I need assistance, and what we do is a short program screening tool so that we can figure out which program will best meet their needs. So we ask just basic information like name, telephone number. If we call, you have to call you back, can we leave a message? And then, like, what are your needs? And we'll even highlight needs like, so what's going on with your housing? Do you need assistance there? You know, when was the last time you saw a doctor? Do you have mental health needs? Do you have substance abuse needs? To try and figure out where they would be best served at this agency. And so, yeah, we've got different programs. We've got programs for people who are newly diagnosed or who have been out of care for over a year. We've got programs for people that maybe are linked to care and doing pretty good, but maybe have some sort of brief need that, 
you know, I just need a little assistance getting to my appointments, or I'm having some basic insurance needs, or, you know, I had insurance, but I lost it, and now I need to get signed up again. But otherwise, I'm doing pretty good. And we get people who started at one program and then needs change, and they go to another program, and that's totally fine. And so I think at times people are worried about, like, which program am I going to be in? And we're like, don't worry about that. We will find people to assist you, and Mm -hmm. we'll figure out, like, which program you need. And if your needs become less or more, we can always move you to other programs within our agency um, so that you can get that assistance. And then, you know, we encourage people, like, if you know people that need HIV testing, come on, you know, bring them in. And then if they are positive, then we'll enroll them in our care services. And if they're not, we'll help them get prep and figure out how to stay negative. And so just a variety of services. And then we also run the Michigan HIV STD hotline for the state. So individuals can call and they can um, uh, ask questions about HIV. They can ask questions about STDs and they can get that information. They can also call to find out um, like where they can go to get tested for HIV or STDs. So we just try to do a variety of services. So if people have questions, they can always just call us and we'll try to redirect or to direct them to the most appropriate spot for their needs. And what is your phone number there? Our telephone number is 313 313- Four four six nine eight zero zero. Okay, um, and you know everyone now is online. If someone wanted to go and you know take a take a drive by <laughs> at Unified HIV Health and Beyond, uh, do you have a website? Yes, we are at M I. So short for Michigan, but M I Unified. Dot org. So that would be M-I-U-N-I-F-I-E-D dot org. So many and individuals what I, I talk to are like, uh-huh. wait, how do I spell unified? <laughs> <laughs> and I know I'm like, I have to think sometimes uh-huh. about that as well. So it's always good um, to spell that out for individuals. Well, I, and, um, you know, it sounds like, one of the things that, that in listening to you talk, and I know you're executive director, and but one of the things that, that it's sort of like, it's not just about coming in and getting testing. And often the people don't, don't realize, like, sometimes you can do that. But it's like those basic things, like you said, if I don't have, if my car suddenly blows up and I can't get from here to there, right. that can throw my whole world off. And yes. uh, this is just like, that place, that, that right. it's a part, you're helping being part of that community to where those other things right. that, that keep you from being successful in your treatment and staying healthy are, are right there. I love that fighting analogy because doesn't it makes so much, I mean, it's just like, well, yeah, you know, I don't know, just beat up, you know, deal with this one thing. And, you know, uh, so, I mean, that's such a great analogy. Christina, I really want to thank you for taking the time to be with us yeah. today. Um, if I, I hope could, that um, 
I'm sorry, if I could add, that number that sure. I shared was the number for our Detroit office. We also uh-huh. have other locations. Um, but I wanted to share the hotline number as well. That's, That's mm-hmm. 800-872-2437. And for individuals that don't really like picking up the phone, on our website we also have the ability to chat with the hotline. So if someone is not interested in picking up the phone and talking to someone but would prefer to type, they could always go. It's at the very top where it says chat, and they could chat with someone who will answer their questions about the same things, HIV, STDs, and where to get tested. Oh, that's great. Because like you said, everybody, and sometimes that chat will lead to then I can pick up the phone and talk. Absolutely. Yes, Mm -hmm. we do. Mm -hmm. Or we'll get some chat conversations like someone from the – hotline will come to me and say, I've got someone and they need services and they are going to call, they're going to call me and talk to me or they, here's their email address, they want to talk more, but they want to talk to someone from the care side. And so, yeah, we can definitely do that. And it really, essentially, it's another way to eliminate barriers for people to get information and for people to find out what they need to know. And if one of the barriers is going to be that they're not going to pick up the phone and call, great, we'll meet them where they're at. We'll go ahead and um, use the chat ability on a website. Now, are there offices in the Jackson, Livingston, and Washtenaw County area? So, yes, we have a Jackson. We have um, an office in Jackson. We have a case manager there. And then we also have services in Ypsilanti, both care and prevention services. And through the 800 number, would that put them, in, so put them in touch with those offices as well? Actually, I can give those numbers. Okay. So for the Jackson office, the number is 517-780-3200. And then the Ypsilanti office is 734-572-9355. And if someone you know, wanted to, they could always get those numbers also from our website at the very bottom. Um, it lists our locations and the telephone numbers and the faxes for all of those locations. Now, if there's a young Christina out there who's studying social work, and says, I want to get involved and volunteer or give my, my allowance to or somehow ever get involved in being part of the solution to being a help. Do you have volunteer opportunities? Absolutely. We have volunteers at both, volunteer opportunities at both our Detroit and our Ypsilanti office. And you would actually... Um, just you can call the 1-800 number, the hotline number, or one of our office locations and just say that you're interested in volunteering. We have a volunteer coordinator. She's also the hotline coordinator because that's one of the things that some of our volunteers do is help and assist with the hotline calls or um, with the chat function. And those individuals are trained. It's not like they're not going to put like that first, you know, when I was newly doing this and didn't know anything, they were not going to necessarily put me on the hotline phone. Um, but yeah, there's those opportunities. But then there's also opportunities to help with outreach events, to do other things in the office that are needed. And so I would tell a young Christina that 
um, you should go and volunteer if you think that you're going to be interested in doing this and that you know you can figure out whether this is the place for you and that we always welcome volunteers and so even if we get someone who is not so young um, but decides that they're interested in this and you know oftentimes we find for volunteers that it's individuals that know someone who's positive maybe they have a relative or a neighbor or a friend um, and they found out that they're HIV positive and they think, you know what, I want to make a difference. Like I can be there for that person, but then I also want to make a difference in another way. And we always welcome that. Yeah. Well, again, Christina, I want to thank you for your time. Um, I will be in touch with you about about your work, your efforts. I mean, I can see you speaking to to a lot of young Christinas and stuff and showing them that not only can you have a dream, have a passion, but then here you've, you've gone on and, and you're still giving back and doing what was just something that you just really felt strongly about. Um, I thank you again. I thank uh, you and the entire staff of Unified HIV Health and Beyond for the work that you are doing and continue to doing in the strong tradition of AIDS Partnership Michigan, and Hark, I mean, you know, you guys to me are community, and that's so important. So thank you again. Well, thank you, and thank you for letting me have this opportunity to speak about the good work that we're trying to do. Okay. Well, look, you have a fabulous weekend, and um, I'll be in touch. Thank you so much. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. So we've come to the end of another great episode of Collections by Michelle Brown, Um, introducing you to not only an individual, but an organization that's making a difference, creating change right here in our community. I again want to thank my guest today, Christine Schmidtel, who is with Unified HIV Health and Beyond. She's the Director of Care Services. And I also want to thank you, my listening audience. You can listen to Collections by Michelle Brown every Thursday by following the podcast on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. That's all for today. Join us next week when I'll introduce you to another amazing individual living between the lines standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality and creating change. That's right here on Collections by Michelle Brown. Thank you and have a good evening.